passage this morning in uh, Mark, or, sorry, Matthew uh, 23 and 24, and um, this is going to be a little bit of a fire hose this morning for you. So if you're visiting with us, uh, this is going to be interesting intellectual uh, uh, passage. And so let's let's turn to God's word now. This is Matthew chapter 23, starting at verse 37. Hear the word of the Lord. O Jerusalem, this is Jesus speaking, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these? Do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And uh, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many of the false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in in his house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight might not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulations, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. 
Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we uh, thank you for uh, challenging passages like this, and we desperately need you to be our teacher. Give us your spirit to instruct us and, and take these words and use them to give us a deeper loyalty to our King, our Lord, Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of power on high. And uh, so be our teacher. Give us attentive minds as we give ourselves to your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's generally uh, the habit in our church that I really try to make sermons applicable to life and you know, our emotions and our relationship to God and our relationships. But this is a passage that is going to feel more just like uh, uh, teaching and because uh, we're entering into the complex section of Jesus' teaching it's traditionally been called the Olivet Discourse, which I just read a portion of, the first portion of to you. And so for the next couple of weeks, it's going to feel like that because um, all of those verses I just read, and maybe if you've never read that passage before, you might be thinking, I have no idea what even one verse in that whole passage is talking about. And so it's important that what we're going to have to do is go basically verse by verse through that whole section and try to understand what is Jesus talking about in uh, this passage and so our topic this morning is the historical, the well-attested historical events of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD. This is an event that we know about not only from the Bible, but also from uh, extra-biblical you know, re, uh, sources outside of the Bible. And I'm guessing, you know, for some of you, you may not know much about the temple and its role in the Old Testament, the Bible, and maybe you're not sure, like, is it something that I really need to know much about? But what we're going to find out is in the coming chapters of Matthew, we're going to read about the trial that led to Jesus' crucifixion. And if you want to answer the question, why was Jesus crucified? During the trial, the main charge that was brought against him that led to his crucifixion is in Matthew 26, 61, that says this, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. The main charge that was brought against Jesus was that he said he was going to destroy the temple. Now that quote from Jesus is kind of a mixture of a number of things that Jesus said, but Jesus certainly predicted the destruction of the temple in this passage that I just read to you. And, uh, you know, if you're not familiar with the history of Israel, um, the temple played a huge role in Israel's kind of national identity 
uh, throughout the Old Testament. You know, if you read in the Psalms, you know, they sang songs about the temple. And when they would have feast days together, they would come to the temple to have the, these feasts. And it was, the temple was the thing, was the place of their deepest longings and eager, you know, eagerness about God. Because the temple was the place where God said he dwelt among his people. It was this symbol that God was among his, uh, his people. And so when you read through the Old Testament, the, the temple shows up at some of the most important points of the Old Testament. So, for example, you know, when Moses led Israel, they were all slaves in Egypt, and he led them out of Egypt, freedom from slavery, and they went out in the wilderness. The last, like, 15 chapters of the book of Exodus is all about the building of the tabernacle, which was this tent where God came and lived among them. And that's how God said, I'm going to deliver you into the wilderness, and I'm going to come live with you. And then when David and Solomon became the great kings in Israel, and they built this great kingdom where, you know, it's kind of the pinnacle of Israel's kind of historic life, the biggest thing that David and Solomon wanted to do was turn that tent into a palace so that God didn't live in a tent anymore. He'd live in a palace in this great house, and they built this temple, and that's where God lived among them. And then the, the, the last great event in the Old Testament was when the Babylonians invaded Israel in uh, 586, and uh, they, they conquered Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple, and the glory left the temple. And that was like the great moment of tragedy in Israel, Israel's history. And so you look at all the most significant moments in Israel's, you know, uh, thousands of years of history, it was all tied up with the temple. And so in the final week of Jesus' life, you know, we've been reading about that, this final week where Jesus came to Jerusalem. He's about to die at the end of the week. It's a Passover week. He came to Jerusalem. And where has he been spending all of his time? In the temple. He came to the temple. Remember when he's throwing over the tables and he's driving out the money changers and he's having all these debates with the religious leaders? It's all happening in the temple. He came to the temple. And um, Jesus is the God of the Old Testament who has come to visit his people and they have rejected him. He's visited them in the temple and they've rejected him. And that's why Jesus says in verse uh, chapter 23, verse 37, You'll want to keep your bulletin in front of you during this sermon because I'm going to be referring to it a lot as we go along. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. This is an amazing statement because, you know, if you read in the Old Testament, whose wing do you hide yourself under in the Bible? It's God's wing. You know, I'm going to hide myself under the shadow of your wing. And Jesus says, I wish I could have brought you under my wing. He's saying, I am the Lord of the Old Testament. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt and saved you. I'm the one whose glory filled the temple. And they've rejected him. And so he goes on to say, see, your house is left to you desolate. You see, they had prized the symbol of the temple as their national identity, more than they prize God himself. And he says, if you love the temple more than me, I'm going to have to destroy the temple. And so it goes on in verse 1, Jesus says, it says, Jesus left the temple and was going away. The glory of God was leaving the temple, and uh, it was going to become desolate. And so what's so chilling about these words, you know, this whole act that Jesus is doing, is that within a generation, like 40 years later, in 70 AD, the Romans... Uh, totally leveled uh, this massive structure with these huge boulders of the temple, and Jesus predicts that that's going to happen in these verses. Look at verse 2, what he says, an important verse. And Jesus, uh, but he answered them, you see all these things, do you not? He's pointing at all the buildings of the temple. Truly I say to you, 
There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. The reason I'm telling you all this is because this passage I just read to you has very often been read to be describing the end of the world, the end of history, and the events that are going to kind of lead to the end of human history. And and there's some reason for that because the passage we're going to look at next week in the Olivet Discourse does talk about the second coming, when Jesus is going to come back, you know, for judgment. So you might say, well, why is Jesus taking these two things, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD and his second coming, and stick them together? Well, the reason is because this whole discourse in Matthew 24 and 25 uh, begins with two questions that the disciples posed to Jesus in verse 3. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 is key to understanding this passage. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be? You just said that the temple is going to be destroyed. When is that going to happen? Question number one. Question number two, and what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? And so they asked Jesus two questions. The passage that we're looking at today is his answer to the first question. When is going to be the destruction of the temple? He gives a detailed answer to that. And then next week, the passage we're going to look at is, and and when he describes the the destruction of the temple, he says there are all these events that are going to lead up to it, and you can know that that, the, uh, the fall of Jerusalem is coming, but the second coming You can't see it coming. It's unpredictable. And so he'll say in the verse that follows the passage that we just read, he'll say, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. So this morning, we are just going to talk about the first question that Jesus answers. When will the destruction of the temple happen? And we're going to look at how he answers that. And his answer has, there's four stages to the answer that he gives. And this is what the four stages are. Is that first, he says, the end is not yet. The destruction of the temple is not going to be immediate. It's actually going to be 40 years before that happens. Second, you're going to have to stand firm in the persecution. There's going to be a large amount of persecution between now and then as you go out and share the gospel in the world. But at the end of that time, the fall of Jerusalem, that's the third stage, will happen. And then lastly, he gives a description of the beginning of the reign of the Son of Man. Okay? So a lot of details in here. We're going to go verse by verse through it, and let me just invite you to to stay with me here. So first stage, Jesus says the end is not yet. So you look at verse 4. This is what he says. See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. Now, many people have taken this to mean that Jesus said a lot of people are going to claim to be Christ in his second, or Jesus for his coming, for his second coming. But you'll notice that one of the things that Jesus says is that many people are going to come claiming to be the Christ. And the word Christ really means the Messiah, the anointed king that was promised in the Old Testament. And so what this means is that when they're hearing about wars and conflicts that are happening all over the world, and they're thinking, you know, now has, is the time has come where the anointed king is going to come liberate the Jews from the Romans. And so you're going to expect that uh, these leaders are going to be um, claiming to lead that charge against the Romans. And we actually know that in the century before Jesus came and the century after, there were multiple Jewish leaders who claimed to be the Christ. And they began movements. Some of them are mentioned in the book of Acts who started these movements where they'd gather armies and they wanted, you know, a whole uprising to go against the Romans. 
And um, we'll actually see the thing that leads to the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD is a Jewish rebellion just like that that happens in, in 66 AD. And the way that people got, got behind them was they said, look at all that's happening in the world. There's wars happening. The end of the world is now. It's time when God is going to restore the kingdom through me, so take up your arms. And Jesus says, don't be led astray. Don't listen to them. And his disciples, you know, we might not be able to relate to that, but for his disciples, that's going to be a real temptation. When uh, there are, are Jews who are saying the fulfillment of the Old Testament is going to come through a war with the Romans, are we going to go take up arms with them? And what Jesus says, he says the end is not going to be happening right now. So if people are trying to form armies, don't be alarmed by them. Don't follow after them. You have 40 years to go. You have a lifetime of ministry and of preaching the gospel that you have to do. And you should not be alarmed about hearing about civil wars and conflicts that are happening around your globe. Keep your eyes on the work of the kingdom. Focus on that. Don't focus on the world. And, you know, there's a certain uh, drama that Jesus is warning his disciples against getting wrapped up in. And, you know, Christians, unfortunately, have a way of getting all into the drama of all the events that are happening around the world and what are their meanings. And we can read all these current events to kind of uh, tell us that it's the end of the world. And every generation thinks that they can kind of read the events that are happening in the world and, and, and judge, you know, when is the end of the world going to come? When's the second coming going to happen? And all the people that have predicted that throughout history, 100%, been wrong. <laughs> They've been wrong. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, don't be alarmed. Focus on the ministry that's set before you. Because every generation has events that are so dramatic that, they will le- they, uh, that we will think they mark the end of the world. And so Jesus says in verse 7, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. We know about that. We know that there were wars in the first century. We know there were earthquakes and there were famines. And he says, all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. The events that were going to happen to the disciples over the course of their lifetime were the beginning of birth pains. So God, the, the, the birthing of God's kingdom and this new creation that Jesus is bringing is a long process of labor pains. And what they're going to experience in their life is just the beginning of those labor pains. And actually, we've seen 2,000 years of those labor pains as God's kingdom has been being, you know, brought about uh, in, in our world, and more people are being, you know, coming to know the Lord through Christ. And so since they're going to have to face these beginning of labor pains, these difficulties, Jesus leads to a, 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 a second word for them. So the first thing he says is the end is not yet. You've got 40 years until the fall of Jerusalem, and you've got a lot of ministry ahead of you. So the second thing he says to them is that you then need to stand firm in the persecution that you're going to face. You see this there in verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Now, you have to see that Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, you, uh, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And actually, as far as we know, these disciples that Jesus is talking to, all of them except for John were martyred. Many of the, early, the first generation of Christians uh, were killed. And we read in the book of Acts, all these things happened in the book of Acts. We see, uh, you know, apostles and disciples being killed. Um, we see all kinds of tribulation, not just from the Jews, but from, you know, other, uh, other nations around, uh, around them that they were being persecuted. And so Jesus says in verse 10, 
And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Now, all of these uh, things we know from the rest of the New Testament happen in the first generation of Christians. Uh, Numerous of Paul's uh, uh, letters speak about false teachers, about false prophets. were happening in the early church. This was in Galatia, in 1 Corinthians, in the church in Ephesus. We know that Jesus in Revelation says about the church in Ephesus that they had abandoned their first love, love growing cold. In the, the church in Laodicea that they had become lukewarm. All the things that are being described here are not end-of-the-world events. They are things that happen in the first generation of the church, and Jesus is warning his disciples about this. Now, of course, the uh, church faces false teachers and love growing cold in all ages, but Jesus is encouraging the disciples who will be the first. They're going to be the first to spread the gospel, the first to start churches and build the institution of the church. He says, you're going to face great difficulty as you attempt to do that. And so he encourages them in verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Remain steadfast, immovable, firmly rooted in your faith. It's going to be difficult, but hang on. Okay? Now, you might think up to this point in the passage, okay, this is a believable interpretation. All these things, he's talking about the first generation. But, you know, the next verse, can't be talking about the first generation. The next verse is obviously talking about the end of the world, right? This is what he says, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, anyone reading that says, isn't that plainly talking about that the world is going to be evangelized, and once the gospel has gone to all nations, then the second coming is going to happen. That's what Jesus is predicting. But the New Testament tells us that the first generations of Christians believed that the gospel had gone to the whole world. Let me uh, read to you just a couple verses. This is Colossians chapter 1. This is Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verse 5 to 6. He says, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing. He says, already in Paul's day, the gospel had gone to the whole world. And then he says later in Colossians 1.23, which this sounds an awful lot like Matthew 24. This is what he says. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, you know, enduring to the end, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So they said in the first generation, the gospel had gone to the whole world. It had gone, had gone. Now, how could you say that? Well, in the ancient world, the whole world was the Mediterranean. You know, Paul thought that the end of the end of the world was Spain. That's where he, you know, finished his ministry. And, and tradition is that Thomas went to India. And so, in terms of the known world, the gospel had spread to the whole to the whole world. And Jesus says that that needs to happen before the end comes. Now, how can the end? mean anything other than the end of history, the end of the world? Well, it's because the very next verses describe what the end is, which is the third stage of Jesus' answer, okay? So first Jesus says the the end is not yet, so you're going to have to stand fast in persecution, but third, the third stage is then will be the fall of Jerusalem. Now, um, let me just remind you that at the beginning, this chapter begins with Jesus predicting that the temple will be destroyed, and he 
is now answering his disciples' question about when the temple will be destroyed. That's the question he's answering. And he said, it's not going to happen right away. You're going to have to preach the gospel, and you're going to have to suffer persecution. Um, but it will happen within this generation. This is what he says, verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, holy place of the temple, let the, let the reader understand, then uh, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who, uh, who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. Now, Jesus, you'll notice he used an expression there, the abomination of desolation. What, what's he talking about there? Well, that's a reference for Daniel chapter 9, the end of Daniel chapter 9. And Daniel chapter 9, which was written about, you know, 500 years before Jesus, it was a prediction of something that happened 200 years before Jesus, where the Greek king, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, came and conquered Jerusalem, and they came into the temple, and they set up all these pagan gods that were now worshipped in Israel's temple. It was this total desecration, you know, uh, this uh, abomination that was in God's holy place. And Jesus is saying something like what happened with the Greeks 200 years ago, let the reader understand, is about to happen again with the Romans. And he's uh, clearly talking about the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in 70 AD because if you look at Luke's version of the Olivet Discourse, you go to Luke chapter 21, Luke puts it this way. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Now what this is talking about is in 66 AD, the Jews started a, a revolt a, against the Roman Empire. And the Romans sent the commander of Vespasian to come subdue this revolt. And Vespasian conquered most of Palestine. He had his eyes set on Jerusalem. But during that conquest, there was a civil war back in Rome. And so Vespasian had to go back to deal with the civil war back in Rome. And during those few years, there was huge upheaval in the Roman Empire. In the year 69 AD, the year right before the fall, fall of Jerusalem, there were four Roman em emperors in that one year. And the last of those Roman emperors was Vespasian. He became the emperor. And so once he had consolidated his power, he sent his son Titus to go finish the work that he had begun in Palestine. And so Titus went and laid siege to Jerusalem. And for five months, he surrounded Jerusalem with his armies. This is well recorded outside of the Bible in, in uh, uh, you know, Josephus and other ancient historians. And for five months, they were starving the people of Jerusalem and slowly creeping their way in. And it ended with a massive, brutal slaughter. And the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. And Jesus is saying, this is what's coming. And that's why Jesus says, look at what, how he describes it in verse 19. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. I mean, you just imagine, you just had a baby and you're in a city that's surrounded by armies for five months and there's no food. And they're going to invade any minute. You don't want to have a little baby during that time. You're going to be scared to death. And he says, pray that your flight might not be in winter or on the Sabbath for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, don't be in Jerusalem when this happens. You see, all the other Christs are going to try to get everyone to come to Jerusalem to start an army, and you're going to lose. Don't be there. That's not how my kingdom is growing. It's not through an army. So don't listen to them. So you should flee. And uh, you might think that that's kind of hyperbole, that Jesus says nothing this bad has happened in the history of the world. But Josephus, 
the Jewish historian who wrote about the Jewish wars and experienced the fall of Jerusalem said, describes it exactly that way. There is nothing so brutal that has happened in the history of the world. And of course, people experience brutality like that. That's how they describe it. And one of the things that Jesus says is that nothing like that will ever happen again. Which tells us that Jesus is not talking about something at the end of history, because there's going to be history that goes on after it, but it's something that happened in the middle of history. And it is, uh, that something that happened in the middle of history was the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And for a Jew living in the first century, the magnitude of those events would have felt like nothing less than the end of the world. You know, we often talk that way about, um, you know, you have something tragic happens in your life, and you might describe it as earth-shattering. And if, so, if someone was like, you believe the earth shattered? No, you're saying, no, it's just so catastrophic that I described it as earth-shattering. That's the kind of event that was happening to them, is this earth-shattering event. And so it goes on to be described this way in verse, verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he, uh, he's in the wilderness, right? In the wilderness is where you go to form an army, form a revolt. If they're saying, go gather to this Christ who's in the, in the wilderness and go form an army with him in this secret place in the wilderness, don't go after him, right? Uh, do not go out. Or if they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, forming conspiracy, a secret revolt against the Romans. Do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming. That's the word parousia, which we're going to find out next week is the description of the second coming. It's the first time Jesus used that word, the parousia, the coming. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now, as I mentioned before, all these events are going to cause a string of Jewish leaders claiming that this is the end, God's judgment is coming, and, and they're going to ask the Jews to follow them into battle. And Jesus says, my coming, my parousia is not going to look like going into secret places and far, forming armies. My coming is going to be a universal event that you couldn't predict. It's going to be like lightning flashing in the sky that everyone sees plain as day. So what these guys are trying to form is not what my coming is going to be like. And... Um, and so this leads to the final section of this passage. So let me just summarize where we are so far. The disciples ask Jesus, when is the temple going to be destroyed? And he answers this question. He says, well, it's not going to be immediate. It's going to be a, there's going to be a generation that's going to go by first. And during that time, it's your work to go preach the gospel, to plant churches. And you're going to hear all kinds of rumors of wars, and you're going to be tempted to go join one of these armies and to fight against the Romans. They don't do it. That's a losing battle. And what's eventually going to come is the fall of Jerusalem, and it's going to be tragic. Don't be there. It's going to be terrifying. And, um, but this leads to the fourth stage of his answer, which is the beginning of the reign of the Son of Man. And this is some of the most important verses in this whole passage. So this is what Jesus says. Look at these verses. In verse 29, he says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, for most of us, when we read something like that, you're like, you know, the, uh, the sun is being darkened, the moon's not giving its light, the stars are falling. 
how can this not be the end of the world? That sounds like the end of the world. The universe is collapsing. And uh, one of the things that's really important is that Jesus' imaginative world, the images that shaped his mind came from the Old Testament. Jesus was a Jew. And most of us did not grow up reading the stories and the scriptures of the Old Testament. And just, they weren't in our bones, in our blood. But if you go back to the Old Testament, it's specifically the Old Testament prophets, which Jesus is giving a prophetic word in this passage. The prophets use those images of sun, moon, and stars to describe earthly rulers and powers. And so when uh, there was a great political upheaval, it was described as the stars falling. Those who were in power were losing their power. And let me, if you turn to page three in your bulletin, I, some of you I knew wouldn't believe me when I said that. So I, I, I wanted to give you one passage that illustrates this. There are many in the Old Testament, but this is one passage from Isaiah 14, which is a prophecy against the king of Babylon, an e, or a pagan, brutal ruler that God is speaking his judgment against. And this is what it says. When the Lord has given you rest from your pain and turmoil and the hard service with which you were made to serve, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. So this is a taunt. This is a prophecy against the king of Babylon, which says this. How the oppressor has ceased. The insolent fury ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of the rulers. So he's talking about earthly rulers who oppress people that struck the people in wrath with unceasing blows, that ruled the nations in anger with unrelenting persecution. This is clearly talking about earthly rulers, and then it describes them this way. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. The king of Babylon is described as a star in heaven. How... You are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will become a star, right? Um, above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol. The star is being brought low to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. This is the man who made the earth tremble. So this earthly king is described as someone who makes the earth tremble. This is all imagery. Who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities, who did not let his prisoners go home. This is what the stars falling down is. Jesus is describing a political upheaval that is going to happen. There is a new age that is beginning. It's not the end of the universe, but the beginning of a new age. And in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says that we, those in the first generation of the church, were those on whom the ends of the ages had come. Now, one of the things that we have to remember is that the temple system, the temple that's being destroyed, the temple system had been in place for a thousand years. And if you add the tabernacle time, all the years that sacrifices were happening in Jerusalem... You're talking, you're talking about 1,400 years that there was this sacrificial system, and all of that was going to come to an end in this generation. And when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament stopped, and it has never started again. It has been, it has been done now for 2,000 years. This was a cataclysmic ending of the Old Covenant and bringing in the new age of the Messiah. And so this is why Jesus says in verse 30, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming 
on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. I know when you read that, Son of Man coming on the clouds, that has to be talking about the second coming. But the Greek word there for coming is not parousia. It's uh, erkomenon. It's a different word. And what he's talking about when it talks about the Son of Man riding on clouds, this is a quote again from the Old Testament from Daniel chapter 7. And the Son of Man does not come riding on the clouds from heaven to earth. The Son of Man comes riding on the clouds from earth to heaven. And so the description of this is not about Jesus' second coming. It's about him ascending into heaven and being seated at the right hand of the Father and being given authority over all the nations of the earth. And that happened in the first generation. And what happened after Jesus was seated on the throne and given all authority over heaven and earth? What did Jesus do next? It tells us in, uh, in verse 31, and he will send out his angels. And the word for angels could be just messengers. He will send out his messengers with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. That's what's happened. Jesus sent out his disciples to go and gather and elect God's people and to form churches and to spread the gospel throughout the world. And that's what's been happening for the last 2,000 years is God has been sending out his messengers to gather in his people. And so the whole story runs like this. They ask Jesus, when will these things be? He carefully answers the question. He says, the end of the old age is not yet. You are going to experience persecution as you go throughout the world spreading the gospel. But the Roman armies are going to surround and destroy Jerusalem and the temple. And this will be the mark of the ending of the old age. But the new age is the age of the Messiah where uh, he will ascend and he will sit at the right hand of his father and he will send out his messengers to every corner of the earth to gather the elect. And so that's why he says in verse 32 to his disciples, from the fig tree, learn this lesson. As soon as this branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. Read these signs. This is what's going to happen to you and your generation. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gate. Um, now, if at this point you say, okay, wow, there's a lot of interpretation. I know you just heard a lot there. But the final nail that confirms that this is what Jesus is talking about comes in verse 34 at the end of this passage. And if you're saying, I don't know how all of that could be about things that happened in the first century, Jesus makes it very clear that that's what he's talking about because he says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. If Jesus was talking about the end of the universe, he was wrong. Because the universe did not end in the first generation. But if he's talking about the fall of Jerusalem, this is an incredibly astute reading of current events and wise counsel that he is giving to his disciples about what is going to happen between the relationships between the Jews and the Romans. And Jesus explicitly says these things will happen in this generation. And so where we are now in this story is that the Son of Man has ridden on the clouds and he's been given all authority over heaven over heaven and earth and over all the nations and here we are on the other side of the globe and he sent out messengers all the way over you know to North America and here we are worshiping the risen Jesus and looking forward more to the coming of his kingdom and that's where we fit in the story and it fits with history and so the story of the Bible is not just some spiritual story about legends that happen who knows when and, you know, in a magical world. It is telling us the events of the world that we're living in 
and the story that we are all a part of. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you uh, for these words and so compelling to see Jesus wisely uh, reading the situation of his culture, of the Roman Empire. And we thank you that though the Roman Empire has expired, such a great kingdom that many thought could never come to an end. It long ago came to an end, and yet Jesus, the true King of Kings, who is seated on the throne in heaven, his kingdom goes on and continues to expand. Lord, place our longings and our desires in that kingdom. Give us confidence that uh, Jesus truly has all authority in heaven and earth. For that, give us boldness and courage as we serve you in this world, we pray in Christ's name.